Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. But let me start with this. I want to hear you guys' thoughts. What is Easter? What is Easter? Who wants to help me out with that? I mean, in in Christendom, we just do a lot of celebrations, but I don't know how many of us have really thought about what we do and why we do what we do, right? So, quick question that anybody can answer. Just to the best of your knowledge, what is Easter about? I'm waiting. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hello, everyone. So, to the best of my knowledge, to um, commemorate uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, yeah, I'll just stop there. Okay. So, to 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 commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So, as Wordinar students, Bible marathon students, students of the Word of God, um, people that actually have local churches where you are taught doctrine. Give me one scriptural reason or one scriptural backing for us celebrating this thing called Easter. Right? Because, I mean, a lot of us have celebrations in our lives and there's a reason behind celebrating those things so when it comes to easter is it that that rule breaks off or is that do are we wrong are we right you know i, I really want to get some feedback from you guys before i share some thoughts why why easter why or let me start with this is it a biblical celebration was there a time in 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 you know in the in the Acts of the Apostles where they said, okay, Jesus has died now. Now every time April comes around, we have to celebrate Easter. How did it start? What was that about? What's talk? So I'm not so sure about when it started, but I personally don't think we should only remember all that Christ has done at this time of the year alone, mm-hmm. and then forget about it for the remaining 300 and whatnot number of days in the year. I mean, um, because of what Christ has done every day of our lives, you know, we are reconciled to God. And so it's not um, only something that we get to do once and and forget it. So it's our life. It's our reality. It's our every day. Um, yeah, okay. that, that that's I think that's that's my thoughts on that. For, for now. OK, sounds good. Um, who else wants to add to that? Well, for me, yeah. I genuinely value the celebration of Easter. I think it's the most important celebration in the history of Christianity. And the reason why I think a particular day should be set out to celebrate it is because it keeps us in remembrance. Mm. We might say, yes, we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single day, but life will happen. And I think um, I can point to, um, I don't know, this time when God told Moses to ask the Israelites to set aside like the 50th year mm-hmm. as a period of Jubilee celebration. Yeah. Like God could have said celebrate it every day. But he said he set aside a particular day where everybody 
spends time just feasting and celebrating and rejoicing because of what the Lord has done. It keeps us in remembrance because you will not remember every day. Okay. That's why I think it's important. Thank you. Thank you very much. So let me let me um, prepare you for a conversation that you have. If you don't have it this year, you have it next year. If you don't have it next year, as long as you're a believer, somebody's going to approach you with this question. And they'll ask you, why are you celebrating a pagan holiday? And you're going to be like, what do you mean by pagan holiday? Easter is the is, is scripture. Like you are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is it a pagan holiday? And you're going to be confused because the next set of things they'll tell you, you'll be like, I didn't know that. So I'm about to help you because this is a Bible study platform where we should anticipate um, issues that are going to arise. First of all, has anyone heard any um, rebuttal to the celebration of Easter? Have you ever encountered someone tell you it's it's uh, a pagan festival? Anyone? No, just Christmas. Okay, so basically Christmas still has its own and I can go there and uh, Ruth, you've had you you have from a Jehovah Witness. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, beautiful. <laughs> so I'm not t- talking to the wrong crowd, you know. And if you haven't yet encountered, you will, you will encounter people who will come against you. So let me let me share some thoughts with you real quick. I have a whole lot on it, but I plan to teach on it later today. And in something we have is a joint map group. So I'm going to share more in- information because that's not why we're here. But let me just give you some basic ideas of what, what, what this whole conversation is. So have you ever wondered where the Easter bunny came from or the Easter egg? You know, all these things that they celebrate alongside Easter. So they'll say the Easter bunny, or if you go on Canva now, you want to design Easter flyer, guess what you'll see? Rabbits, egg, colored eggs, right? And you're wondering what's the connection? Well, that's why it's good to know. Historically, the word Easter comes from a word Ishtar, I-S-H-T-A-R, all right? And that is a pagan god, or more specifically, a goddess of fertility, all right? So, um, and you guys should calm down. Don't worry, I'm not going where you think I'm going. And because there is um, this whole, basically they would have celebrations. This is this goes way back. We're talking way, way, way back, pre-Christ, pre-everything. This was a celebration that even during the time of the Israelites, God had to specifically correct them and take them away from those practices. All right. Have, how many of you have heard of Nimrod? That's a biblical name, right? By reading Genesis, so you must have heard that name. But there's there's some other, um, you know people in these in the old old testament times that um were called heathen they worshiped idols they did some despicable practices that god had to tell the israelites specifically don't be like these people one of the practices they had you know to the to this to this um goddess was that around april and may so pay attention it's important to get this premise premise around april and may they would have orgies who has heard of the word orgies? So O-R-G-I-E-S. Basically, a lot of people coming to have sex, right? And they will have, they will impregnate a lot of women around that period. And they will 
celebrates that that lewdness and that carelessness to the god of fertility and the god of um this this ishtar person now when you do that we know that it takes about nine months for a woman to conceive and so when you calculate that it comes around december which is also when they take these these um children that are born of this particular orgy and they sacrifice those children to the idol and i don't know if you've heard of um i've forgotten the name but it's a, it's, it's, Molek, thank you, Molek. So that's where people would come and attack Christmas and say you are celebrating a pagan festival as well because it coincides with December 25th and there's so much going on. So if you look closely at the, the, the um, celebration of Easter today in, in um, the vast majority of cultures, like in America, they are trying to go away from the... Um, idea which I'll come to very shortly and stay very strongly with the um, idol, idol worship uh, angle and then they want to make it commercialized. So when you say God of fertility, why rabbits? Because rabbits have children quickly. They have, you know, they, they, they duplicate and they have a lot of that. Why egg? Same thing. Egg has to do with birth and so it's symbolic of all the things that they were doing. And there's even more to this. I could go into more detail, you know, but what you have to realize is why do we now celebrate Easter? This is the difference. Even though there was a festival called Easter that coincided with that April and May, there is also a, a feast, all right, that is celebrated amongst the Jews where God intercepted that practice and gave them something to do, which we call the Passover, all right? So that's where you see, so someone will say, ah, but Easter is in the Bible. Well, that's a good point. Let me show you. Acts 12, uh, 4. This one says Passover. It says, then imprisoned him, placing him under the guards of four squads or four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the what? Passover. If you have King James, you will, see, you will see Easter. And this is the only place in the Bible that Easter appears. But when you look at Easter, we just I just told you that Easter, the root word is from Easter or Eosta, depending on the language. And it still has to do with this, this goddess of fertility, of sex, and of like all of that stuff. So what is happening here in, in the at this same time, notice that he's talking about Herod. The context was Herod, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king straight forth, blah, 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 blah. So Herod is a pagan king, right? So they would use the word Easter to represent that season or that time. However, when you check the root word of Easter, it is... Paesta or pasta, something like that, which refers to the Passover. So I, 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 maybe some other time I'll get into more details about this because we want to study Galatians. But I just really wanted you to see some things here. So in, in Acts chapter 12, where they are talking about this here, um, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people, historically speaking, this Easter period at this time was at the same time the Passover was going on. 
So the replacement for that practice of Ishtar amongst the hidden, amongst the Gentiles, amongst these people who would do despicable things was to commemorate something else, which is their deliverance from oppression under the um, Egyptian rule. That's what leads to Passover. And so prophetically speaking, or based on prophecy, later on, many years after, Jesus comes on the scene, right? And I want you to see why we should still, which is why it is still okay to celebrate Easter. Because someone will bring this up and you have to know how to defend it. So now we go all the way many years after to Passover in the time of Jesus, right? And so Jesus is the Passion Week. How many of you have heard that phrase, the Passion Week? That's when Jesus is about to experience the suffering um, that he's going to go through. So around, okay, someone is putting something on the chat. Okay, yeah, exactly, Nissan. And notice it's that period, there's Nissan 1, Nissan 14, there's all of that stuff. Basically, that period from Tuesday to Saturday is basically the passion of Jesus Christ. So Tuesday is during the Passover. Around Wednesday, he's crucified, all right? And he's put in a tomb. Thursday, that's a full day, Wednesday to Thursday. Thursday to Friday is another full day. Friday to Saturday is another full day. So there has to be a night as well because Jesus is supposed to fulfill prophecy that he will be in the belly of the fish, just like, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be. So Jesus is now there from Thursday to like Saturday, which many would now ju- um, judge as being the Sabbath, all right, at the time. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from Wednesday starting, by the way. And that he has a full three days and three nights, which is why... On the Passion morning or good, what we call um, Monday, what's, what do you call Easter Monday? When, you know, the, um, the woman got to the tomb, he had already risen. And this was Sunday morning. All right. So everything happened around that period. And so anytime there is like a celebration, it starts at Friday, right? According to the way they celebrate it, even though it was earlier, but they will just take Friday, Saturday, Sunday to represent the three days. So at the end of the day, what we even celebrate as Easter is not actually when Jesus was raised from the dead or when Jesus died, right? It's just a selection of days to commemorate something that was a practice under the law, which was Passover, which was a replacement of a practice of the hidden people. Are you with me so far? So the, the only thing is that it's coinciding, and that's the challenge, it's coinciding with this festival. So they think we are celebrating Easter, whereas we are celebrating something different. We're not celebrating this goddess or this um, worldly you know, form of worship. Instead, we're using the opportunity to, that's why a lot of churches will call it Resurrection Sunday. They don't call it Easter Sunday because of the, the connotations of that word. So how does this relate to everything we are saying? If anyone is going to challenge you with anything about why are you doing this on this day? Why are you celebrating this pagan feast? Why are you doing this, this, this? Why are you doing that? Your very good way of responding is to go to two texts. I'm going to put this from my head. Hopefully I'm correct. We go to um, 1 Corinthians 10. 
you know what, let's start with, I'll come to First Corinthians, but Colossians is a good place to go. And if you, are, if you have any questions, you can hold them and we'll talk about it. Um, so was it an intentional replacement or coincidental that it fell on the same time? It's actually both. There are parts of it that just happen to be at the same time, right? But what we celebrate today, we are tracing it back historically to an event that was well known to be um, practiced by hidden people. And we are using, we are seeing the correlation, the fact that that time also coincides with the passion. So while these people were still celebrating this thing, it also coincides with the time that um, Christians were celebrating, or should I say the, the people were commemorating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the replacement, there are many, the truth is there are many stories around this. There are many people who say, um, people have agreed that it is a, what we are doing is just repurposing that event for a, a greater purpose. Some people will say, well, we should leave Easter altogether since it has a um, pagan affiliation. But is that what we do with everything in life? No. You don't just let the devil take over everything that he, he can get his hands on. So if there's a practice that somehow coincides at that time, and it's not like, it's not, so this is what you should not get from what I'm saying. You shouldn't get the idea that somebody just said, oh, Easter, I want to take this name and make it Jesus. No, that's not what happened. While these people, these hidden nations were practicing this, this despicable act of um, orgies and all of this for their own gods, at that same time, there is still something the Jews were celebrating called Passover. Are you following? And it so happened to be that same time. The scriptures has the word Easter. And I hope you know that this was what they had been reading. This is the Bible they had been reading. So um, Easter is what they will pick as their understanding of that period. All right. That's one way to interpret it. Um, but when you look at the, if you trace it back, a lot of what is Easter today, if we're being honest, can be traced back to the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church is, is, the, is where most of these pagan festivals were re- um, redefined, recreated into like some Christian practices. So they carried a lot they of these things. They repurposed it. Yeah, exactly. And they took some of these practices along with the repurposing, which is why, you know, Protestants say, hey, Roman Catholics, we don't, we don't agree with many of the things you do. So for example, Christmas is Christ mass. When you spread it, when you... <laughs> When you like break it down, you understand that um, in the Roman Catholic faith, mass is a, is a regular thing that they do. So it, it, I think it's good to understand history and be very good at history and see why we are doing the things we do. But I want to show you a scripture before I really quickly jump into um, Galatians. And that scripture should help people to rest any argument that anyone wants to bring on these issues, all right? Vicky, I'll answer your, I'll let you speak real quick. I just want to quote the scriptures. So go to uh, Colossians chapter two. Where are we now? Colossians chapter two from verse 11, 12, 13. Okay, so it starts here. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of, of the flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14 says, blotting 
out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So he's talking about the law. The law being dealt with, it was against us, but now Christ has, by his death on the cross, put an end to that. And he says, I haven't spoiled principalities and powers. He made public show of them openly, triumphing over them. Then this is where we get to verse 16. Therefore, let no man judge you in what? Meat. That means in food. Matters that have to do with food. Nobody should say anything again. Whether you should eat this or eat that, no. So anyone who understands the law will know this is referring to ceremonial practices, right? Things that you, you were told not to eat. Stay away from shrimp. I think we did some, we discussed this last time we met. Stay away from pork, all those stuff. He said, no one should judge you again on that. Those things had a shadow of something real. They're not the real thing. He said, meat or in drink. Listen, or in respect of an holy day. By the way, maybe you didn't realize that the word holiday was derived from holy day. That's another thing you should realize. So don't let anyone judge you in respect of a holy day of the new moon, of the Sabbath. Anyone who knows Jewish traditions knows that these are very important aspects of the Jewish faith. A holy day is a day God has set apart for some ce celebration or feast. And guess what is inclusive there? Passover. Or the new moon, very similar to that. They were very, very, uh, um, as, what's the word? Deep in astrology too, right? You may not know that, but there was a lot of astrology even in, in Jewish practices where they would look at the moon and to determine how they celebrate certain things. Or the Sabbath days. And then he says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the bodies of Christ. So what he's saying is the, the truth, the fulfillment of everything is Christ. All these practices where they tell you, oh, don't, you know, Sabbath day, you, why you, you, are, you are cursed because you are doing your own church on Sunday. The Sabbath day is Saturday, you know, and they will fight you. They will give you scripture. They will give you everything. At the end of the day, you have to respond with, okay, let's say you are right. What does Colossians say? Let no one trouble me. Don't come and judge me. Leave me. <laughs> now, let me show you the other scripture that will help back up this um, one. And that is um, Romans. I was already going to First Corinthians, First Corinthians, but Romans chapter, if you were here when we were studying Romans um, 14. You should know where I'm going with this. Um, let's read from verse, verse 3. Same, same conversation. First, uh, Romans 14.3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, not. And let not him which eateth judge him that eateth, for God has received him. Who can, who, do you see the correlation? We just read in Colossians. Let no one judge you in meat or drink. Paul is saying the very same thing here. He says, who are you to judge another person? Let me use a better translation so you guys flow with the, the thought. Um, NKJV is easier a bit. He says, to his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will make him stand, for God is able to make him stand. Look at verse 5. Romans 14, 5. One person esteems one day above another. So Vicky can say, this day is my holy day. Another esteems every day alike. So another person says, we're not under the law anymore. We don't have to do any festival. We don't have to celebrate anything. I don't do festivals. I don't do celebrations, right? And then what does Paul say? Paul doesn't say one is wrong, one is right. He says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Why can Paul say that? Because it's not a doctrinal issue anymore. 
You can decide to hallow one day over another. He that observes the day, observes it to God. He that says, no, I'm not observing, it's still to the Lord, right? So that's what Paul is trying to say here. So if anyone is going to come to you with a lot of these things, and he can go to in any length or in any direction, some people will say Christmas is of the devil because it's a pagan festival. People were offering um, sacrifices to the god Molech, you know, and if you if you they'll say why is there a Christmas tree because tree is representing this 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 you know they they'll do the same with Easter Easter bunny where did bunny come from bunny is from the god of fertility rabbit was the animal that represented the god of fertility so that's it and then they'll go 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 tell you Easter they'll tell you the origin they'll tell you the the history Nimrod had this wife and all of that and at the end of the day you too, you feel very like oh my god you know am I practicing idolatry. But at the end of the day, this is where you come back to. If you decide of your own heart, of your own volition to say, hey, or even as a community, as a church, we say we want to worship God on, on, on Sunday. All he's saying is okay. And by the way, historically speaking, they call Sunday the Lord's Day because historically they believe that was the day that represented the re- resurrection of Jesus. And so why not worship on the day Jesus rose from the dead? It was a choice of the early church. It wasn't the choice of the apostles all the way back because in Acts, we see that they were, they were still keeping what was the Sabbath day, which, was, which would be typically Saturday. But then we see later on in Paul's writings that he's referring to a Sunday for people to bring their gifts so they can take it to a particular church. So at the end of the day, it's like Paul is not even worrying about the the, the, the you know the the details it's like if you gather together what's my what's important is worshiping together loving god together walking in love with one another if you value one day over the other good for you if you don't also good for you all right so that's the that, i think that's just a short brief summary of the origin of easter how somehow we have kept that holiday and how you should respond to people who you know, ask you why are you celebrating a pagan feast? If you have any questions, I will take one question and then jump into the teaching of today. So Vicky, let me hear you out real quick. Okay, thank you, B. So you mentioned something that I want to clarify. You said Jesus was, Jesus died on Thursday or so. Something mm-hmm. around Wednesday. On Wednesday, Wednesday, that's Nissan. Yeah, yeah, but in this thing, in, in John, John 19, yeah, when we were talking yeah. about um, the crucifixion of Jesus, it says like Jesus was killed. It implied that Jesus was killed the day before Sabbath. So John nineteen thirty one said, therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not uh-huh. remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked. So there is a, okay. So let me pause you. There is a high day, and there is the Sabbath day. So in that's why I said this thing goes back to the historic. Um, understanding of what sabbath was so there is the sabbath day which nobody must work or do anything which was why the woman could not go out until the day after to see jesus but there was the high day like you just said preparation yeah so passover passover is a weak event okay. all right so let me let me let's go there so you see it john 19 yeah verse 31 okay so uh so look at so it says um because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross 
on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Why is he specifying that this Sabbath was a high day? Why is it not saying, um, what's it called? Normal Sabbath. This one is a special Sabbath, basically. And if you look at, let me, let me, okay, I have an image that will help explain this. Um, okay, so let me, so I think the best way to just show this is to show you from Wikipedia. It's not always the source of truth, but it helps you see uh, the breakdown. Okay, let me so, just ask a Sabbath... follow-up question. So maybe you can just yeah, answer everything together. Mm-hmm. Then go to verse uh, chapter 20. And it says, okay. um, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. So yeah, it doesn't like specifically specifically say that um the first day was the week was the next day or the next was the next day but like looking at like the explanation and everything that was happening so jesus was crucified and the next day was a holy day where they can't go anywhere or do anything and then then yeah first day of the week which is probably the day after right Mm -hmm. so like if the first day of the week was sunday that's another like reason so how does everything like really correlate no but what you just explained is why the most of the early fathers church fathers decided to for example tertullian said mm. we should have sunday as church day because it's the lord's day and that's the first day of the week does that answer that question no, you don't get like if, what, if, what if, i'm asking if, is like if still back to the question of when jesus christ died right i know that it doesn't like that that chapter doesn't say that it was the day after the holy day but Mm -hmm. i think it kind of like implied that like it was the the next day that mary could like the next available day that she could visit the tomb of jesus after jesus christ died so like is it still in line? So that holy day or the holy week, because if it was Wednesday, then Thursday, or if it was Wednesday, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do you mean that like throughout all those days, they could not, she could not visit the tomb or? No, she could, but the, the, so, okay. The best thing to, the best way to understand this is to know what they mean by the, um, the preparation, Jews preparation day. Mm. And first of all, Okay, if Jesus Christ, and I think we should have a special teaching on this later on, so we can break it all down, show you an image. If Jesus Christ said that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish Mm. for three days and three nights, Mm. I want you to calculate that starting from the last day. Just count backwards. Three days, three nights. So that's like full that's full three days. Full Saturday, full Friday, and full Thursday. Okay. When is the preparation day? The preparation day was Wednesday. Okay. When was the Passover? The Passover was Thursday. When did Jesus eat with the disciples? No, no, sorry. The Passover was Tuesday or Monday. Yeah. Before exactly that's so that's yeah, what I'm yeah. showing the full week for this thing. Um, so I, I want to I want to move forward with Galatians, but I know this is a good question to ask. Maybe maybe if we have some time in the after party on Sunday, I can we can jump into it and discuss it. All right. Okay. 
but yeah like you have to really look at some terms like you know the the, the first day of the passover week is what they will call um nissan 15, nissan 13 14 there's all these whole things of how they calculated weeks back then and days but yeah um any other question i was going to take a question did i did you did i help explain you know how to give a rebuttal if anyone was was asking you about um, yes you did okay very good so let's go into the teaching today <sighs> father in the name of the lord jesus we're jumping into your word with the little time we have help us to see some marvelous truths in jesus mighty name amen all right so galatians one of the best books in the epistles of paul and this is why there's so much to learn about the gospel there's so much to learn about what we should do with the gospel and there's just so much truth um a lot of reference to the old testament and we've seen a lot of that already so when we started in galatians chapter three we saw paul's rebuke right all foolish galatians and i explained that foolish there doesn't mean you know, stupid. It just means they, they know something, but they are not able to use their power of perception to truly discern uh, what, is, what, he know, what he has taught them. And he said he had portrayed Jesus amongst them as crucified, talking about almost like billboarding, you know, the, teach, the, 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 the crucifixion of Jesus. And why should they still not have a clear understanding of how to be righteous before God? Why are they still trying to attain what God is giving to them freely by grace, by their works, right? And so that's what he started to teach them. And he tells them, well, you should know that God that supplied you the spirit and worked miracles amongst you, he did not do it because you were doing all the right things or following the law. He did it by the spirit, by faith. You heard and you believed and you saw miracles happen. So he takes them back to the Old Testament that, hey, Abraham is the father of this faith we're talking about. Before the law even came, Abraham was faithful to God. By, and when you say faithful, we don't mean like meeting every rule. We mean full of faith, basically. All right. And then um, he tells us that how the, the scripture was speaking expressly already that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. He says the gospel was preached to Abraham. How is the gospel preached to Abraham? I already discussed this the last time. He said, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So all nations will be blessed by you. And that is, I think it was Shewa. Who was it that last time that answered it? That Shewa or, um, no, I'm not sure who it was. But in, all, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed was referring to both the Jews and the Gentiles. No exception. All nations. Everyone has access to this blessing. And so he says, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So you are blessed not by the works of the law, but by believing. But I want to also clarify something that may be lost here. Someone might say, okay, because the law doesn't justify, the law is useless. The law is not important. And that's far from the truth. The law is very good. In fact, the reason you need God to, to give you the gift of righteousness freely is because the law is so good that a corrupt man cannot keep it perfectly. God has to step in, all right? So when we talk about the law, don't, God, like, don't get me wrong. God wants us to obey the law. Do you realize that? 
Like God wants you to obey the law. When I say the law, I'm referring to the moral law, the moral code. God wants you to live right. Like who in their normal senses would see the law and say it's bad. Like <laughs> there was a time they put, um, you know, the law in like the 10 commandments in American schools, true stuff. Like there used to be a thing. They've taken all of that away now. They stopped prayer in schools and all of that stuff. But the fact that they could have something like that back then tells me a lot about what they saw the law as. You wouldn't put something that bad <laughs> or something corrupt in a place for youngsters, right? So they put the, the Ten Commandments because peradventure you read it and you say, thou shalt not steal. Okay. I mean, it curbs people from doing evil, right? The foundation of the US, for example, very strongly on Christian beliefs. And so it became really prosperous because most people followed the law. Most people were, uh, they, they put God in his right regard. Like they gave him the right regard. Uh, I mean, things have gone down long since then, but just to let you see the importance of the law, the law is good. Romans 7, 12. Now the law is righteous and holy and just. But the problem with the law, who can tell me why, what is the problem with the law? On one hand, the law is bad because of what it does to us. Vicky, go ahead and talk. Okay, so the law is very good, but then uh, the nature that we had, we inherited from Adam, and like when it comes, when you kind of like bring it together with the law, is a bad combo. Like you can't, right? We can't, that, and that's Romans seven exactly. When you want to, you delight to do the law, the law of God from your inner man, but the law comes, a principle at work in your body says, no, you won't do it. And so when the law of God, which is perfect, comes to your sinful nature, a battle ensues. That's why the Bible would later tell us that the, 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 this flesh warred against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, you know, there's always that consistent battle, that constant battle. So how do you get saved? Paul is trying to emphasize that it's not by keeping the law. The law is good to keep, no doubt. But if you are trusting in keeping the law, then you have to go all the way with the law. Because cursed is anyone who doesn't do everything that is written in the book. So look at this. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in the things which are written in the law to do them. Now, let me show you something real quick. Um, I don't know if anyone has a Bible there because I feel like we have been getting very lazy in this um, word dinner. Everybody's just waiting for the screen to show us. But if you have your Bible, I want you to go to uh, Deuteronomy because I don't want to go off this page. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. I'll put it up, but I also want to read okay. it. I can read. All right, go ahead. Okay, it says from New King James Version, it says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and the, all the people shall say amen. You know, I told you about this the last time, that they were the ones that said, bring it on. You know, it, the, after listing everything, it says, Cursed is the one who lies with his sister. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor. Curse is the one who takes bribe. Curse is listening a lot of curses. Then he now says, now it will come to pass. He says, uh, in, oh, after saying everything, he now says, 
Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, meaning cursed is who doesn't do, who doesn't take everything that is being said and do them perfectly. And all the people shall say, amen. That means you must approve of it. You must agree with it. And he's saying that here, that for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, meaning if you are abiding with that law as your system, if you are holding on to the old covenant, which is the law of Moses and its written code, then you are under a curse. Now, what does it mean to be under a curse? I know we had that question the last time. The, being under a curse means getting the repercussion of failing to meet those, those standards, all right? So you are basically going back to that system if you decide to hold on to the system of the law. So Galatians um, chapter 3 verse 10 says, curses everyone that, con that continueth not in all the things that are written in the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. And he says, for it is evident the just shall live by faith. Who can tell me where this scripture is from? The just shall live by faith. Paul is doing this. He does this repeatedly. He doesn't just teach. He will go back and quote the Old Testament. Who knows where this is? Very pop it's in many places in the scriptures, but there's one popular place. A book that most people have not read. Hi, Victoria. This is Zechariah. You're muted, though. Oh, sorry. My hair is messy. I said Habakkuk. <laughs> right. Habakkuk, I think, 2, 4. Yeah. Right. So it says the just shall live by faith. And most people, when, we, when, when they quote, thank you for that, Victoria. That's Victoria, right? I haven't seen this face. Can you turn on your camera Victoria. again? Sorry, right. my hair is messy. You look so good. Sorry. You look uh, you look really good. Sorry. It's fine. Sorry, I've been off yeah. for okay. days, my day off. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Good to have you around. Thank you. Okay. You can turn it off now. Don't worry. So that nobody's going <laughs> to. All right. <laughs> so um, he says in, he's quoting Habakkuk, right? Let's go there. Because when you see a scripture like this in Bible study, you don't just say, oh, okay you know, I get it, and you move on. You have to check. So Habakkuk 2 from verse 4, what is he really saying there? There's a huge context, but I just want you to see what he's saying and what he's not saying. Habakkuk chapter, chapter 2, let's read from verse 1. It says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when i am reproved and the lord you know there's a lot i don't want to even go off point verse two you've heard this before and they use this for goal setting it's very far from the point <laughs> and the lord answered me and said write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it quick question what is this vision is it right the vision that god has put in your heart that is not what this text is talking about at all let me even help you look at this in um, when we say vision, what should come to your mind? It's not your vision. It's what God is giving you, like an instruction, all right? So let me read it in NLT, maybe to help. I will climb upon my, to the watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says. 
So I'm going somewhere to receive something from God, to hear what he will say. And then God now responds and says, write my answer plainly on tablets. Is it clear now? He went to hear God. God spoke. He says, write this thing I'm saying. Just like God had been saying to Moses in the Old Testament, write this. And Moses will write according to, this, to the voice of the Lord. And then what is that he may run that readeth it? He's talking about people carrying what has been told them, what he has written down, so that they can pass it on to other people. Write it so that other people can know about it. That's what it means by write the vision, make it plain. You know, so that they don't change the, the, the thing that God has told them. Exactly. See, this is why it's important to study. Um, that, then the next one too, they'll they, they carry this one as the continued verse. The vision is for an appointed time. Wait for it. Let me put it in KJV. See, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Do it, tarry, wait for it. Before, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Brothers and sisters, the plan of the Lord upon your life will not tarry. Shout the louder, the louder your shout, the greater your, your come to pass. <laughs> I can't even do that thing. It's very hard. But the point is, context will save your life. Can you say that? Say context will save my life. Like, you have to read the Bible in its entirety before you just make very, very funny conclusions. So a Bible student that has common sense that went to school and knows how to interpret stuff, can you tell me what this means? So if we connect the dots now, what is the logical, if taken like this, sorry. What's the logical flow? It says, write this thing, make it plain on tablets, not iPad, not, you know, not tablet. That's what it means. Obviously we know it means, write it down and what they had then was not paper it was you know tables of stone like the law came in write it in a way that people can look at it and follow it and run and do what it says why for the vision which vision what i have told you to write is for an appointed time so it will take time so it's, you you probably will forget what i'm saying write it down so that it is there for everyone to see and then when you've written it down, it will take a long time. That's why it says, do it tarries, but it's my word, so it will come to pass. That's simply what he's saying here. And so what is the word? What is the word that is supposed to write down? Let's go. So he, he, we have a whole lot of things God told him. Why did God not ask him to write on papyrus or the thing they used to? That's an, that's an assumption that that's what they were using to write then. So when you see tablets, that is, that was what was known with the um, prophets. So Moses, that was just how they wrote things. So basically write it on something that can be read. All right. Um, and you, I hope you know that paper technology came many, many years after this. So this, this was not really. Okay, sorry. So I'm not talking about paper. I'm just talking about like, I don't know because I was that documentary that I sent to the group chat earlier this mm -hmm. week, right? They said out of they said they found some fragment of the sounds. Yeah, right? yeah, written on that kind. Those of are those are those are copies of copies. Oh, I hope you know. Like we've yeah. done it. We've done apologetics now. Yeah. I told you about the origin of. There's no original Bible, Bible today. Okay. 
So it is copies of copies of copies of copies of copies, but they are the same. Like it has been faithfully copied over generations. And when you compare those manuscripts, that's what gives you what we have today. So um, yeah, why do we have the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments was originally written on stone, right? But we have it on paper. So that's even the obvious proof that it was copied. Um, so look at, um, I want to show you what he's saying here in verse, in verse four. What is God? What is the summary of the message? God is going to deal with proud people. That's the story. God knows how to handle the proud people. So I don't want to waste time reading the whole thing. But the main point is, Paul is now quoting from a prophet, Habakkuk. And he's saying, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Who can tell me the immediate context on Paul's mind when he goes to Habakkuk 2.4? Knowing what we've read so far, a, a vision received by a prophet, and now he's quoting this prophet. The prophet starts with, behold the proud. Who can tell me the relationship? Just you, you can't be too wrong. I don't think anybody will be wrong. Whatever answer you give me now, if you hold the context, and someone else from Vicky. Vicky has been my top student in this class, and I want to, I want to give people sweets. So somebody else that can... Aside, Vicky, I love you. Just not, I want to hear another person's voice. What is Habakkuk 2 4 doing in Paul's writing in Galatians? I think that, okay, since obviously, if you are proud, you're not going to believe. But the just, no, I don't, that's not obvious, but that's what I mean. I think that's why he's connecting both of them. But the just shall live by faith. That means whoever is. People that believe, <laughs> if they if they humble themselves and they believe, that's when they will leave. <laughs> that's the that's the that is the no that's the key word there. In your rubbish, you said something very profound. <laughs> yes, but they just shall live by faith. Well, like there's a comparison. Who is so? Let me ask you a question. Because if you don't believe, you are proud, I guess. And exactly. if you humble yourself and believe what God is saying, then you'll be justified. I guess so. There's an element of pride when you hold on to the law, uh, in contrast to when you just trust. Because is it? I mean, what, when you tell someone, "Stop oh the work God. you have been doing." In scripture, stop. like that, I think it's Romans thing. I'm not sure. When you when you do when you focus on the work that of the law, the works of the law, and you try to do it, guess what's going on in your mind? <sighs> okay, I can do this. In fact, when you listen to the Pharisees talk, what do you hear them say? I, I give to the poor, I pay my tithes, right? I, I pray in the city, I do this, I do that. There is some, there's a level of pride that comes with being the most righteous person amongst others. But like the publican who was there, you know, he couldn't even lift up his head to heaven. He just bowed his head and said, God be merciful unto me, a sinful man. And Jesus said, that one goes justified, not the other one. So who... Who is justified? It is the one who has faith, who trusts in God, not in the ability to do what is right and attain God's favor or approval, but the one who is not proud but humbles himself. And so he says, the just shall live by his faith. In other words, the person who lives by faith is the just one. What is just? Righteous. The word just is another word for righteous. 
So that's what Paul is, is referring to. And he's quoting this because the Old Testament is the source of truth for everything the apostles taught. Right? Daphne, real quick. Sorry, is Romans 10, <laughs> Romans 10 verse 3. I think that's another place where this is. Yeah. The, the just shall live by faith is in like five verses. There's 1 Corinthians 5, 7. There's uh, Romans 10, 3. There's Habakkuk 2, 4. There's Galatians. It's everywhere because that's what the Bible is really saying. Like that's the whole Romans 1, 2. Exactly. There are many places where you see um, this whole thing. In Romans 1, it's even an explanation. He says, he says now, um, in a righteousness without the law is revealed. I think it's even in Romans 3, you know. Um, but let's go on. Let's round off right now. Ah, Bible study is, is work. <laughs> so he quotes... Um, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident for the just shall live by faith. What does he quote next? He says, well, realize that the law is not of faith, meaning you can't have both working together. The way of faith is different from the way of the law. That's what he's trying to say here. He says, but the man who does them shall live by them. What does that mean? He's even quoting the Old Testament right here. Do you realize that? Um, let me see if I can pull that up for you. I think NIV helps. It says, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things shall live by them. What does that mean? If you, if you obey the law and you do those things that the law commands, that is how you live. You live by them. If you are, and, and always, the context here is still not just doing the law, which is a good thing to do. It's good to do what is right. But to trust in your good deeds for your righteousness, that's what is wrong. All right. Let's see how far we can go. We're almost done. Maybe like five more minutes and I'll round off. I just really want to explain this text. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. Question, what is he quoting here? It's Bible study. If you have a Bible you, that has margins, you should already know what he's quoting. But if you don't know what I'm referring to, just be patient. You would hear it. You would know what we're talking about shortly. So who can tell me what he's Are quoting? Are we allowed to answer? Yes, now, yeah. Oh, sorry. Deuteronomy 21, verse 33. 20, no, 21, 23, right? Uh, let me see if you're right. Yeah, 23, yes. not, not 33. It's 23. So this is, what, this is what the law commands. And Paul is such an, a, an excellent teacher. Oh, my God. Like, if you study this and you really understand what he's doing you it's just you do just make you happy you oh this guy is so skilled like today i did a short bible study with someone who was asking me about romans the book of romans where, where paul says if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that Christ, god raised him from the dead you'll be saved and the question we're asking is um how do we know which one basically like you know we don't tell people that you have to do this and this to be saved. We just tell people you need to believe in Jesus. So where does the salvation actually happen? Is it in the confession or is it in the believing? I was like, okay, that's a reasonable question. But to answer that question, 
why where did get where did Paul sorry for that where did Paul get that believe and confess where did he get it did he make it up no he got it from Deuteronomy where it actually says the law is given to you this day and he says don't try to go up you know to get it or go into the depths the realm of the dead to bring it out it says no the word the word the instructions the commandment of god they are right here in your mouth and in your heart so there it was talking about the fact that to keep the law and the commandment of god it has to be in your mouth and in your heart meaning it should not it should be what you believe should what you say should align with what you believe that's what he was saying the, what you say must align what you believe if you have it in your mouth, you will do what the law says, which is why Joshua says, this book of the law um, shall not depart. That's why God tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your what? Mouth. You should meditate on it day and night. And then he says all of that. So you would meditate and you observe to do what you have meditated on. But how does it get to meditation? Your mouth must say it. How do you get to know what to say? It must be taught to you. So Paul is using that same analogy to explain, oh, even in, in talking about Christ and your salvation, you must hear a message first. In the Old Testament, it was the law. Here is the message of grace and salvation. When you hear it, your words must align with your heart. So it's not about which one comes first. It's about not having, not saying something your heart does not believe. That's, that's just how simple it is, right? So when do you get saved? When you believe. And what is the proof of that salvation? When what you say aligns with what you believe. So the, the proof of salvation is that you believe. <laughs> Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. When you confess, that is, you are, aff you are affirming what you already believe. All right. I, I just went on a detour because I felt it was helpful to see how we develop doctrine paul says something he quotes the old testament you go back there see the context try to see how it links up with what paul is thinking that's bible study right there so if paul is saying as it is written first is anyone who hangs on a tree your mind should go why is somebody hanging on a tree a curse then you go to the old testament and you see where paul got it which is deuteronomy 21 23 you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Notice this is tree mentioned here, but Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. But the allusion is the same. When someone is hanged, there's a problem. So he says, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. All right, so what is Paul doing here? Paul is saying, Jesus became a curse for us. For us, How did he become a curse for us? Well, he died on a cross. Why is dying on a cross a curse? Hmm, there's a lot of um, alliterations. Why did God, why did Jesus Christ's death on a cross become a curse? Well, he was hanged or hung on a tree. And that in itself is something that the Jews would see as being wrong. Like you don't keep someone in a tree. That's the 
worst kind of visible punishment someone can have, you know, where not only are they dead, but they are now hanged for everyone to see. Um, so that is, um, I think that's a good place to, to round up today. <clears throat> Does anyone have any questions? And if you've noticed, it just seems like we're going on repeat because I really want this earlier part to sink in. So when we go into like chapter, end of chapter three and chapter four, it will just make sense. Because what we've been trying to do is just to build the, the premise. Paul is trying to say, hey, don't follow the law as a means to be saved, as a means to get God's approval. Trust in Christ by faith. Put your faith in him. Put your trust, your hope, your confidence. And that is how to live. Don't go back to the works of the law and think that that is how you would walk in the spirit or how you walk in God's favor. Because Paul is like, how will you, you know, who were once saved through the spirit, you want to continue in the flesh. Like, what are you doing? That's what Paul would say. Um, and then he rounds off in verse 14. He says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. And this is very simple. I don't know if anyone can end us with this. Just give me a good summary of what this verse is saying. Who can just summarize what this verse is saying? He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the spirit. I feel like it's self-explanatory, but I want to just hear someone say it. Um, okay. Go ahead. Can I go? Okay, so yeah. from here, we can infer that the promise of the spirit was blessing given to Abraham, right? So right. if, if um, the blessing that was given to Abraham can come to the Gentiles, right, through Jesus Christ, and it says by faith we receive the promise of the spirit. So it definitely implies that the promise of the spirit is the blessing given to Abraham. That's a good conclusion to make. So when it says by faith, we receive the promise of the spirit. The promise of the spirit is what was promised to Abraham, where he said in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So the blessing given to Abraham, that is all nations. If somebody were to ask you, what is that blessing? The answer is the blessing of the spirit, not to the Jew alone, but to the Gentile. Now, why is it a blessing? A blessing is freely given. If I bless you, it means I'm giving you something freely. You did not deserve it. You did not earn it. So a blessing given to Abraham and to his seed is me saying, I'm giving you righteousness by faith. And when you receive righteousness by faith, the spirit can now dwell in you, which is the fulfillment of God's promise. Does that make sense? All right. Any questions? We'll stop here and continue by God's grace next week. Next week, we're going fast. All right. We're going fast. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I have a question. Pastor. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you very much uh, again. Mm -hmm. Okay. So talking about faith and or justification by faith, and yeah. the fact that works do not contribute to that. Yeah, I am in total agreement and all of that. Um, I was speaking with someone last week. Um, he's orthodox. 
And a lot of what he was saying was, you know, you're, you're not justified by faith alone, but by faith and works. He agrees in the fact that, you know, faith does grace, you know, he agrees with all of the grace and faith part of it, but also insists on, you know, works being part of it. And in as much as I tried to like show him many parts in scriptures that says, you know what, we are justified by, you know, um, faith through grace or grace through faith, one of the <laughs> other two. But um and one of the scriptures that he, you know, um, alluded to James, James too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I tried like, you know, because my understanding of that context is the fact that, all right, you know, you're justified by faith, you know, and your works, you know, is a revealer, I guess, of the faith that you possess, right? You, you, if you believe in Christ, you obviously don't want to, your your character works would would be in alignment, but you are not justified mm-hmm. by that. But specifically, um, James two, uh, uh, I can't remember the verse now. The one that specifically said you are not justified by faith. I think he was speaking about yeah. Abraham. Uh, let's see if I can. Let find me, let's it. go here. Oh, let's go here. He says, "Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only." Right. Right. Three verses so, that. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Senior. Yeah, if you could just like speak to speak speak. To Absolutely. That. So, and this is where the balance of grace and faith is very important. Um, there was a teaching by Andrew Warmark that I listened to that really blessed me. Um, and I'll probably like share the link if I can find it. But the best way to understand what James is doing is to, to, first of all, like I've always said, what's the context of the book? Why is James writing? Mm-hmm. When you answer that question, everything becomes very simple. Mm-hmm. James is seen by a lot of theologians as a harsh, legalistic apostle, but that's far from the truth. So when you hear someone like Paul teach, Paul is going like fire and brimstone on the grace of God because the people he's talking to are people who have, stayed so long in the bondage, the bondage of the law, thinking that that's how they will be made right with God. So what does Paul do? Paul says, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give a full, powerful teaching in the book of Romans to let them know that grace is what it's all about. It's by faith. Salvation, righteousness comes by faith. He goes in Colossians to say, hey, leave the law, forget the law. God has made you right. He has brought you into right standing with him, right? Ephesians, same thing. You know, you're not under the law. He doesn't say much about the law in Ephesians because Ephesians is filled with Gentiles. So he comes to them and says, you who are far off have been drawn near. So just notice that every single book has its focus. So now Paul is giving this amazing teaching of the grace of God, how they are forgiven, how like, None of their sins will hold them back. God will accept them just by trusting in what Jesus did. And so James now comes and see how James starts. James starts like this. James chapter one um, from verse one. Let me go to verse two. What's the first thing he talks about? Suffering for Christ. When you go through trials, it's as if it's like, okay, now you've heard all this. Let's talk about real Christian living. What does it look like from a day-to-day, you know, what does day-to-day in Christ look like? It goes down and talks about perseverance, what all the things you learn from trusting, you know, in God. 
And then he goes down and talks about like, you know, prayer. You, you, if you are not going to ex- get anything from God, it's because you are not praying right. You're praying amiss. You know, if you are not trusting God fully and you're double-minded, you're unstable. So notice the tone. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes to, you know, um, the one who is rich in pride. So he's addressing character flaws. He goes to bless the man who perseveres. He will get the crown. He talks about temptation. I'm taking you on the Bible study because I want you to see the emphasis. So he says, you know, when God is, don't say, don't say that God is tempting you. It's you. You're a naughty person. You are allowing your desires to rule you. Like that's the tone of James. And then he comes down, you know, talks about, um, don't be deceived. When, bad, when good things come, they are from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, you know. And then it goes on to say, be quick to listen. So it's, uh, it's addressing Christian living. So if you want to learn and teach on how to be a Christian, go to the book of James. Now, he now says, verse 1, verse 21, get rid of moral filth, leave evil, stop being you know, disobedient to the word of God. Don't just be a hearer alone, but be a doer of the word. So you see that this is where his, his premise of chapter two starts. His teaching on chapter two is from verse 22 of chapter one, where he's starting to say, you know, it's not about just listening to the word of God. You have to be a doer of the word of God. Because if you don't do the word of God, you're like someone who looks at himself in, herself in the mirror and forgets what they look like after. He says, but if you look at the law and you, you do what it says, you will be blessed in all that you do. And then he goes on and talks about, you know, pure religion, you know, trust, this is what religion looks like. This is what it really looks like, you know, taking care of people who are orphans, taking care of the widows, you know, and keeping yourself um, unpolluted from the world. Now it comes to chapter two and starts to be more specific. Don't be a favoritic, favoritic person. What's wrong with my English today? Don't take, don't be a, don't um, take sides, right? If somebody is rich and they come in and they are looking all good, don't give them the best seat. And then the person who is not dressed well, give them the worst seat. He says, no, don't give special attention to anyone, right? And then he goes on and just starts talking about the fact that as a believer, this is how you need to live. So with that premise, notice that Paul has done all the teaching on, hey, Christ has done this, you have been made righteous, you've been, you know, justified. It almost seems like if you stop at chapter three of any of Paul's books, you are only seeing what Christ has done, except in Romans. You're just seeing the brilliance, the beauty, the amazingness, the kindness, the the tender mercies of God. And then if you read the latter part of Ephesians, latter part of Colossians, latter part of Philippians, you see instructions. You're almost seeing James. So you have to understand that James is not address, is not saying um, faith is less or trusting in Christ alone is not what guaranteed for your salvation. He's trying to say, hey, there are a lot of people who think that just proclaiming and believing or just making a proclamation of faith is anything in itself. That your proclamation of faith is only as strong as what follows after it. So if you truly believe something, you should act in accordance to that thing that you believe. So that's what leads to this, where he now starts saying things like, um, you know, let's go to verse 18. Okay, look at this. I like this. Let's read this. This is a good example, practical example. Sorry for taking your time, but I really want to explain this to everyone. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
So imagine that scenario. Now, if one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be fed. So someone is hungry. You, are, you have the ability to help them, but instead you are acting in faith, you know, a display of seeming faith, like, oh, go, you'll be well, it is well with you. You know, with all these Christian platitudes that we have, we'll say, you're blessed, it's, uh, yeah, it is well with you. And you have the ability to help. J- J- James is saying, what good is it? What does, is that what your faith is all about? So he now goes on and says that faith by itself, meaning just a proclamation or an assertion of faith by itself that is not accompanied with action to prove that faith is dead. So what is the example James would quote? Guess who he mentions in James? He mentions Rahab. Did you read that? I don't know if you got there, Shawa. He mentioned yes, Rahab. Yes, I did. Why Rahab? Is Rahab not a hero of faith? And Paul had used, I don't know if it's Paul that wrote it, but he had mentioned Rahab in, in the book of Hebrews to talk about someone who trusted in God, you know, and what proved their trust in God was how they acted to people. So he goes here and says, um, from verse eight, 18, someone will say you have faith and, and, and somebody will say I have deeds. So Paul is saying, um, so I said, Paul, James is now saying, well, if you say you have faith, there must be something to follow after that faith. If you say you have faith, there must be deeds to follow. You know, Paul would make it clear in Ephesians 2, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So you are not saved to just be a casual, um, laid back person. You're supposed to be a, a, a faithful follower of Christ in your actions and in your deeds. So he even now comes here and says, well, let me show you the, the complete saying, I believe in Jesus and not having a life that follows that profession. He says, the devils to believe. Oh yeah, come and fight me. Like that's literally what James is saying here. You think you have faith. Wow, talk for yourself. You believe there's one God, nice. Well, the devils also believe and they, sh- they show that they, they, they run away. They are afraid. They are terrified. So he's trying to just say, don't think that your faith without any evidence is good in itself. All right. So that's the whole point here. And let me quickly take you to Abraham. Abraham, who Paul had, Paul had been teaching on extensively, James also quotes and says, well, Abraham's faith, how do we know that he believed in God? Well, he, he, he was willing to sacrifice his son. That's the proof of his faith, right? And he was made righteous by that. So he now he, he ends his, his teaching and says, or almost ends his teaching. He says, you, you can see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So he's not just saying justification. Is, he's not saying justification is not by faith alone. He's saying justification is by faith alone, but that faith must have works. Otherwise, it's not truly faith. And that's the balance that the believers need to have. If somebody is talking to you, and this is a practical example, Sheva. If somebody comes to you and says they are a Christian. Okay, my camera has died. Anyway, you can hear my voice. If somebody comes to you and says they are a Christian, and you say, oh, awesome. And then you see this person's pattern of life. And it does not align with anything that the Christian doctrine teaches. The person is running away from church. The person, except they've really been hurt. And that's something that they have to you know, work, walk through. I know there are people who have been really, really hurt by 
churches and you know experiences in the past that's an exception to the rule but they still need to come right they, they need to walk through something but i'm talking about people who claim to be christians but there is no fruit to show there's no commitment to the things of god there is no there's no there's not even a struggle against sin like it's one thing to struggle with sin it's another thing to not even struggle with it like just to live your life perpetually in that way you know if somebody says i'm a christian and every friday they are going to the club dancing with every tom dick and harry you know living licentiously not even being you know sober minded like the bible teaches godly and righteous in this present world is a problem all right and the last verse i'll give you to show that paul also has this theology right paul's theology is not is not different from james theology he's just saying if you have faith it must show look at titus 2 from verse 11 right you've probably seen this text before but it's a powerful text that shows that hey the bible is one all the apostles are of the same mind just that one is emphasizing one thing because that's the problem a lot of people are living their lives saying i have faith but it's like hmm you are making this faith look like it's empty. True faith produces works. So um, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, look at verse 12. It says, this grace so this grace of God that is freely given to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Man, that's powerful. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age so paul is saying you have to live godly present lives in this present age why why you're waiting for the blessed hope of christ he is coming for you for sure that's guaranteed but if you say you have faith there should be evidence that your faith is not empty so that's what um james is talking about i don't know if you have any more specific questions or that addresses it um, no, I think, yeah, th this this definitely addresses it. I think I was just like really stumped on the, the, the just looking at it verbatim, saying, mm -hmm. you know, justification is not by faith alone. And, right. you know, when things become explicit like that for me, like, I, I, I know what he's trying to say, but for someone who I have to speak with, then I have to do like more than just saying, well, that's not what the Bible is saying. Like, right. so, um yeah and, and exactly you know a lot of the conversation was that look it has to show in your works if you're doing something else that's the way we as humans can know that someone really is saved is by the things you do you know because right. that's a signal that we have but yeah but just having that verbatim just was a bit um iffy mm -hmm. for me but thank mm -hmm. you so much um yeah just means there's a lot of work to do in like there getting is, uh... building this story and ensuring that the correct you know, theology is passed across and not um, uh, a biased one or, it's, you know, whatever. But thank you so much, uh, Pastor Ennis. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much as well for that question. And and that's also why in, in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Why would Paul say that? Because it's possible for someone to not be in the faith if you fail the test. There's a failing of a test. And what is that test? The test is, if you say you have faith, what is the evidence? Like, there should be fruit to show that you are a tree, a fruitful tree. So, you know, that's, that's just another thing to think on. Like, 
the Bible actually calls you to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Like this empty profession, oh, I just made a, said a prayer and I'm saved. I, I, don't, I don't buy into that. My, your proof of salvation is that you continue in the same. That's, that's, I've done this teaching before on my YouTube, personal YouTube channel. You can go and check it. It's about like um, talking about like, is one saved, always saved? Something about like, um, what's the title? I don't, Vicky, do you know the title of that video? No, I don't. Um, I'll check for it, but it's on my on my own personal YouTube channel. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna share it here because that channel has a lot of stuff. By the way, um, I I used to do a series when I was back in school called Rightly Dividing, and I used to talk about um a lot of scriptures that are wrongly interpreted. Let me see. I have a playlist here. Um. Scripture Sprint, Bible Marathon, all playlists. Uh, sorry, guys. I, I'm going to let you go now. I know for many of you, it's very late. But yeah, rightly dividing series. Um, sorry. So if you look at this, I'll send the link here. Um, it's a playlist. How do I get the playlists link? Okay. It's a good so, Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've copied the link. I'll put that in the chat now. Um, yeah. So, I, I hope that's the correct link. But here, I, I addressed a lot of scriptures that are taken out of context and explained how they're supposed to be understood by following the Bible, um, you know, Bible interpretation rules. But I had one teaching on, you know, I don't think it's in this one. One saved. Let me see. Uh, let's see. Where is it? To videos. Let's see. Okay. Yes, this one. One saved, always saved. Man, two years ago, Omar, God is good. Um. I think it's this one. That's what makes it. Yes, it's that one. Yeah. So I'm to get back to doing this thing now. But anyway, the point is um, um, the balance, right? There's a balance that we need to discuss um, when it comes to this whole once saved, always saved. If you don't have that balance, you don't really understand. You don't really understand what the Bible teaches. The Bible never said once saved, always, um, once saved, always saved. The Bible never said that. And there's a reason for that because someone can run away with the wrong idea that all you have to do is just say a prayer, right? And that's, that's not even how people get saved to begin with. You don't just say a prayer. Faith is trusting in Christ's work. So what that means is the moment someone stops trusting, did they really trust? Like, do you get the point in what I just said? Like, trusting... Faith is not one event. Faith is a lifestyle. The just shall live by faith. It's not the just shall be made saved by faith once, which is why James can rightly say, show me your works to prove that this thing is still something genuine. And Paul can say, go and examine yourself. Like, are you in the faith? Because it's not a case of if you are saved, you can lose it. It's a question of where, what is your faith like? Because your salvation is linked to your faith. 
So while you cannot lose salvation, there have been cases of people losing faith. And one apostle can say, your faith is fruitile. Another apostle can say, they fell away from the faith. There are different terminologies that you can see and you, they're in the Bible. So what do you do with, the, with those? You have to find a way to understand them. So while God is committed to keeping you and protecting you and presenting you holy, blameless on the day of Christ, your responsibility is to make sure that you actually believe this thing, <laughs> right? You have to, that's your responsibility, the work of faith, the labor of love. There's, there's the work of faith. You are, you are striving to stay in the place of faith. You are fighting the good fight of faith because you don't want to, um, you know, have worked in vain. And the working in vain doesn't mean you are failing, you are sinning. No, that's, that is covered by the blood of Jesus. It's, are you trusting in Christ that that covering is for you? That's where I'm worried. If, if somebody is saying they are a Christian, I want to see works, not because works will get them saved. But works is a very good proof that God did something in their hearts and they were they believed. I, I hope that helps. Yes, thank you okay. very much. All right. I've talked too much. I'm so sorry. But yeah, you can find more stuff on that. Um, you know, on this um on this channel. All right. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the word of God. If you would like to join the actual world dinner sessions live on Fridays. You can visit the link bmg.disha.page. It's always on Fridays, 9 p.m. West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.